Bling Blong, everyone. Our new podcast miniseries, Talking Mission Hill, is now exclusively on Patreon. Put on your spicy pants every Friday with a new podcast covering each episode of the cult series from Simpsons legends Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein. $5 subscribers at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons can hear every episode, plus all of our previous miniseries about Futurama, King of the Hill, and The Critic. So don't be a Beardsley. Sign up for Talking Mission Hill today. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons where we offer more chat and less splat. I'm your host, warmed over Fred Flintstone, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who is here with me today? Henry Gilbert and I'd say you're having a severe psychotic episode, Bob. And who do we have on the line? I'm not the first teller, I'm Will Sloan. <laughs> Excellent. Today's episode is Hello Gutter, Hello Fodder. Homer killed a man. Uh, this episode aired on November 14th, 1999. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby, the first Medal of Honor video game is released for the PlayStation 1. Will Smith welcomes us to the Willennium with uh, his new album. I thought he welcomed us to Miami. <laughs> that, I, that was the previous album. Okay, all right. And Kevin Smith's long-awaited dogma is released into theaters despite many Catholics' protests. Wow, what yeah. a time to be Kevin Smith. <laughs> that, I think, was the peak of his powers. That was... Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Peak, uh, peak mainstream relevance for Kevin mm-hmm. Smith. The most- Kevin Smith at that time used to show at like very prestigious international festivals and he would be mentioned in the same breath as people like Richard Linkletter and Jim Jarmusch and Quentin Tarantino. It, it just seems like such a distant time, doesn't it? It really yeah, does. And now he's on our level. He's a podcaster <laughs> and uh, sometimes filmmaker. Yes, yeah. That uh, we've. I don't think you've seen the reboot movie yet, Bob. I believe, Will, you've seen it, haven't you? Yes, sir. I went to see Jay and Silent Bob reboot in a theater surrounded by my fellow uh, Kevin Smith disciples, the way it's meant to be seen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I That uh, that movie was something else. Uh, the weirdest part to me was when they go to the Comic-Con thing in there and they just walk by a bunch of, like, podcaster friends of Kevin Smith that are they're treated on the same level as a, as a cameo by a famous person. But I guess to his audience, they are known. But I was like, who the... This must be somebody because they um, are not an actor. I'm not seeing unless his daughter and wife are in it so it's a no you will not be disappointed my friend Ooh, (laughs) that's why i see kevin smith movies it's like a family album right there on the screen (laughs) and uh yeah that uh the millennium i apparently the wild wild west song is also on there but i mean it was released as a single during the summer i see uh, yeah and then medal of honor the medal of honor games i've forgotten how weird they were they're they're technically a steven spielberg game i was thinking that like every 10 years spielberg will dabble in video games and often they will never just come out ever but this is the one that did and it was a fairly popular series but also a very bloodless game about war it's like a t-rated war game where uh, enemies fall over but there's no like blood or guts i remember 
remember shooting off many Nazis' uh, helmets. The helmets would always fly off from a headshot, but no, no damage to it. Well, the Medal of Honor games, they were they were released by Electronic Arts, one of the many evil publishers in video games. One of the worst. Uh, yeah, you know, it used to be Activision was worth, but I think they, they surpassed Activision. But Medal of Honor was them working with Steven Spielberg to basically, I think it was probably pitched as like Saving Private Ryan, the official video game, and then it morphed into Medal of Honor. But there was a time where you joke of like, oh, another Medal of Honor, another Omaha beach level, snore. Then uh, those games turned into Call of Duty. All the developers from Medal of Honor started making Call of Duty. And then Call of Duty like turned into, those guys quit Call of Duty and then made Titanfall and now Apex Legend. But uh, it all began with that Medal of Honor. It's true. Speaking of Steven Spielberg, by the way, have you guys ever played my favorite computer game of all time, Steven Spielberg Director's Chair? Oh, I've only seen clips. I've only seen clips. You've seen the clip probably because Quentin Tarantino was an actor in that game. It's from the mid-90s when he was trying to have an acting career, and there's this amazing section where... Like, like the conceit of the game is that you are Steven Spielberg directing a movie and the movie within the game is Tarantino like as a man on death row or something. Oh, and he oh, really oh. gives it his all. You've got to check it out on YouTube. Okay. You I'm doing this when I get home today. But it, well, and he's like in a like cartoonish 1930s like white and black striped costume too. <laughs> like it's he should have like a giant ball and chain on his leg as well. God, I love the world of multimedia. There's still so many things to discover in that era. Uh, I think uh, as well the um, the actors from Who's the Boss and the mother from Brazil is in that as well, I think. Oh, wow. And it's done in that primitive like CD-ROM style, so it all looks like rotoscope animation. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. Oh. It's uh, uh, good old Steven Spielberg, always with it. Like he's, uh, he's still above Kevin Smith now, but uh, we'll see if, that, <laughs> if it stays that way. Yes, but our special guest today is uh, Will Sloan from the Ooh. fabulous podcast, Michael and us. Hello, Will. Welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you. Always glad to be here. And uh, yeah, we've been really enjoying your podcast. I, uh, you know, this podcast comes out in a, in a couple months after after yeah. we record this but uh, <laughs> your recent ones have, have been so good we were talking about your bill hicks one before we recorded we i also i really liked your uh you're in luke savage your co-host the one you did about fear and loathing in las vegas because mm. that was a big movie for me when i saw it in 99 because i'd never seen a drug movie like that before and i had not read hunter s thompson's work but uh you guys uh, had a very good you know sober reflection on what it's like today as opposed to uh to our memories of it yeah i mean i guess the short version is we didn't care for the movie so much although we still we still do like hunter s thompson um, for, for those who don't know the prestigious Michael and Us podcast, it's a <laughs> podcast where uh, my good friend Luke Savage of Jacobin Magazine fame and I watch a movie, typically a very outdated, you know, perhaps an old political movie, but not necessarily, and, and give it a sort of, I guess you would say, leftist reading. Uh, and, and oftentimes the movies are movies that we liked a lot when we grew up and perhaps don't, don't like anymore or just curious how they hold up. 
I will say, Will, uh, podcasters always like to hear suggestions of what their podcast should be about. Uh, we love it, by the way. So I will say that we challenged uh, Chapo Trap House to this. They have not done it yet. I still want a podcast on the Funny or Die movie about Donald Trump starring Johnny Depp. That came out in 2010. We all saw it, and then we immediately forgot about it when that election happened. And it's got to be ghastly. I actually think that might have come out during the election cycle in yeah. like 20, 2016. Yeah. And I remember that because Johnny Depp has had kind of like non-stop negative publicity for the last decade or so and i remember that being a very brief period when people were sort of like hey johnny depp's back yeah that we accepted like oh he's come back right and now we uh, i think right after that we all remember like no 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 we don't want this then so. it was like the the bio of him living in like basically the abandoned depp mansion with like wine stained teeth and just mm-hmm. uh basically just like the richest uh, hobo on earth <laughs> But hey, Europe. Ed Wood, still a good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I guess, uh, Will, you probably saw this one when it was new, right? Oh, yeah. This was around the time, uh, you know, I'm I'm a little younger, perhaps, than some listeners. So I think I started watching new episodes kind of around 99, 2000, you know, just as the golden age was ending. Hmm. And this was one that I watched when it aired. And there was definitely that period of, of like me watching these episodes being like, these, these are still good, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and this one in particular held a place in my heart because you got to hear the voice of Teller from Penn and Teller. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the cast of Access Hollywood. Yeah, and almost, you know, 20 years later, that was the one and only thing I remembered about this episode. (laughs) Yeah, it is. uh, So uh, obviously, Mike Scully, this is his third season of Showrunner, but this is a very uh, Al Jean style episode because he wrote it. Of course, Al Jean and Mike Reese ran seasons three and four. And this one does feel a lot more like it's from that era in terms of the references Mm -hmm. and how it's written. It's a little less cruel than Scully likes to be sometimes for humor. (laughs) And uh, it does. It's a nice change of pace from the ones that we've been doing before this i will say yeah yeah compared to like how awfully mean homer is in some other episodes as as a joke or say when he's you know there's no winking at mel gibson uh that we have to deal with in yeah this one. <laughs> we did survive that uh but uh, yeah and uh i think gene uh it's like this is like 10 years into the show 11 years we can now start being nostalgic for early simpsons at yeah. this time in history so there are like maybe six or seven references to earlier simpsons stuff in this episode that uh, have been fun to check out upon this reviewing i'll say that i enjoyed watching this episode i thought it you know had, it had a lot of stuff in it there were mm-hmm. you know uh, a certain number of laughs in it i thought it was a bit of a mess and <laughs> what one of the problems of it is i think it has basically it aggregates together two different kinds of archetypal simpsons episodes so there's the kind of episode where one of the simpsons has 15 minutes of fame and then there's Uh, the other type of episode where Homer desperately wants to bond with one of his kids Mm. and they're kind of grafted one on top of each other. Like, like one of them occupies the second act and one of them occupies the third act. And, you know, if, if there was any, if there was ever supposed to be any sort of emotional beat that was supposed to be here, uh, (laughs) as there are in some episodes, it doesn't, doesn't really land. Although, you know, uh, it's certainly better than some of what would eventually come on the show. 
you're right it's kind of like a 15 minutes of fame story and then a daddy story like i i like that they at least kind of give lip service to well we've done these dad stories with the other two kids before have we ever done a homer and maggie story like and they have done that like once in season three but yeah it's it's been a long time i just like uh i mean gene will take over the show but i think he's saying it was like no this is what the show should be about so it's more families focused we see more of the earlier traits of homer and it's not about like i mean I guess in a way it is, but not as much as Mike Scully would do. It's not as much about showbiz or TV executives. <laughs> like there are so many episodes in Scully's run that are just about how bad executives are, or how mm-hmm. bad television is, and this is more about like Homer than that. Because <laughs> since we did our last Al Jean one, I have developed the theory that I think Al Jean wasn't just a writer on these, but I think he was brought in to be a a sub showrunner on these episodes to take some of the burden off of Scully. Like I I base this conjecture on us just doing at the time of recording the deleted scenes for season 10 and when it gets to the deleted scenes for the episode that al gene wrote he refers to gene to uh scully is like oh let al gene explain these deleted scenes which those are the choices that a showrunner would make so that makes me think that uh al gene came in to help show run and just take the because it's really hard to run the simpsons especially if you're not on a duo like yeah. say bill and josh were and it's not a crackpot theory because he's done it before like there were seasons where it's just like okay al and mike you do too and you have yeah. your own staff so he was coming off of being a satellite uh showrunner with mike reese and so now he, he just kind of took over i think and this also is famously as they say on the commentary this is the famous al gene story of him coming up with the idea of this while waiting in line at disneyland this and uh, mom and pop art oh it's both were come the, okay. up with that disneyland <laughs> it's uh, i'm missing disneyland now just talking me about too it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> i just went before all this happened yeah me and bob went in february we didn't realize uh, separately yes but <laughs> we have gone together no we haven't not yet <laughs> uh, we've, we've been to universal together but, hey, bob and i have turned into theme park guys which i guess yeah, that's what you do when you don't have children <laughs> if you have enough disposable income and no children it's what happens to you yeah i I could never go back to a theme park because they're all different than when I was a child. And I think it would just make me feel, you know, really, really sad to not, for example, see the earthquake ride at Universal anymore or the (laughs) the Terminator 2 ride. They've all been they've all been steamrolled away and replaced by, you know, younger, hotter intellectual property. And that would just make me too, too depressed. It's still very sad to me that I had to sacrifice I didn't have to but the world sacrificed the Back to the Future ride to get the Simpsons ride I wish yeah. I wish they mm. could coexist that was my favorite ride when I was a kid and uh, yeah it's every I think every ride I rode at Universal Orlando when I first visited is now <laughs> at least gone once if not twice over or has, has some Minions content added <laughs> yes yeah you know I think E.T. is still around I think it still survived but well the whole thing about the earthquake ride is they were showing you on that ride how special effects are made i remember it was hosted by charlton heston mm-hmm. and and there was a whole part of like there was a whole part of the ride where he would show you like for example how the earthquake from that that timeless classic film earthquake was mm-hmm. accomplished but now since all special effects are just done on a computer you know there's no there's no point having a ride like that anymore except for you know old nostalgics like myself mm-hmm. who, <laughs> who want to spend a little time in the movie earthquake 
I mean, I think this also came to him as a kid story because, you know, Gene is uh, he's a Hollywood dad who has to fit in time with uh, with his daughter. Now just that like sounds Homer like a does. sitcom. Hollywood dad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, this has a lot of Hollywood dad to it, including having famous Hollywood dad Ron Howard in it as well. Yeah. But I guess we'll get to that in, in sequence. But yeah, that that was just my theory that I think Al Jean was like a secret showrunner of his written episodes and i we've said other episodes feel like a leftover critic script there's moments in this that feel like is this a critic script too but there's at least there's no references to like the 95 oscars <laughs> yeah <in it>. like, <laughs> there's no forrest gump jokes yeah we're, we're safe by the way before we start i should disclose that i watched this episode in the wrong aspect <gasps> ratio no. i watched the remastered quote unquote uh 1.85 to 1 version and it looked like dog shit it was terrible i don't advise that yep now we're finally safe we can but just it, tog- go to details toggle that option in and get ready for four by three goodness took a lot of clicks to get that four yeah. by three set back on there but yeah disney plus has finally made it live but obviously though if you had like say a plex account that then you'd Ooh. be fine there too but i would never endorse such a thing or the dvds which we both have oh yes yeah but yeah so this opening bit here it's uh i guess it's a kiwana squatsy gag right it is yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't pick up on that. Just, uh, well, I think that's just what, I mean, Gene calls it that on the commentary, but I, I think he just means anytime there's like sped up footage of time passing. With like Philip Glassy music under it. Yeah. It's, it's glass like, but not truly the, the glass man. But I like a, I like a joke about hitting the snooze button. Haven't we all done that? Isn't that a great observation? <laughs> uh, it's like my life is on the screen. <laughs> though I, I guess I was most creeped out by Otto and his girlfriend having sex next to home. Is that crystal you know it's not the same design as the crystal that he will try to marry in a few episodes oh yeah yeah i mean uh, uh i think uh you know poof uh, sorry not a poo Otto found a good match there yes yeah. maybe a little bit out of his league oh yeah i think that's probably why she left him eventually yeah. i mean we know a poo found a good match mm-hmm. and uh yeah after homer sleeps for 26 hours i like that the math actually works he wakes up at 10 a.m or t- two hours late and then plus another day for work that's funny that's good i i appreciate any joke that is mathematically correct and uh, we also get to see that this is definitely a maggie episode because it starts with a scene with maggie which would never happen in the show yeah and you know what i do like that the maggie stuff is laid in throughout because i think it would have been an easy thing to get away with if it's like okay a sack three is about maggie now we didn't have to you know build up to it, it just as about maggie and they've done that sometimes yeah without you know earning it but in this case they do earn it i think you're right. I have to admit that kind of contradicts my introductory thesis. You're right that there is Maggie stuff that's strewn throughout the episode. At least they did that. I Well, we complained in the, uh, or we criticized the, no, I should be more we, professional. No, we whined. <laughs> we whined. <laughs> we whined about in the Lisa Sachs episode that basically with four minutes left in the episode, they're like, and Homer also wants air conditioning. Like, yeah, when it was, it was never hot before. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but only at the end there. Uh, in this case, they at least build it up better. I, there was one, Okay, there was one joke in here that felt like, oh, this was lifted from his old unused critic scripts, which is a Where's Waldo joke, which like, I guess you yeah. still had Where's Waldo in 99. <laughs> but 99, Waldo was in hospice. We can't find him anymore. <laughs> it's a pretty easy joke, isn't it, though? It's kind of cheap, like where he's looking for Waldo and then Waldo walks past him in the background. It's kind of like the yeah. most obvious way you can take that joke. 
Find Waldo yet again was the best version of yeah. that joke, like seven years earlier. But it's just uh, not trying anymore. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, they weren't giving away Waldo on cereal boxes. You got to pay Martin Hanford a fat five <laughs> bucks to get one of those hardcovers. Will in Toronto is he Wally to you or is he Waldo? He is Waldo. We do show him the proper respect here. That's good. Mm. Okay, Wally's just too phallic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the I, I do like Homer at least complaining, like get out, get all these other people out of the way. Not not understanding uh, the point of. It. it's kind of a weird joke that like so new yorkers teleported to springfield and they're being rude that's Is that uh, the joke? What, what really took me out of this was for all of the early simpson stuff he puts in this the traffic guy is not Artie pie yeah hey you're it's right. just some random voice so that's, you know that, that's a mistake yeah the, the happy little elves get to come back but not arnie pie and then uh we get a joke that as of this recording is just like ripped from the headlines he really is so yeah. we're recording this on may 29th uh, and on May 28th, there were, of course, uh, the riots in uh, Minneapolis and a police station was occupied and burned down. So when you see this on the screen a day later, you're like, oh, my God. But then they made it 21 years ago. Yes, it was a pretty shocking Simpsons uh, predicted it kind of moment. Uh, we don't subscribe to that stuff. But yes, uh, Wiggum pulls over Homer. And it is a nightmare out there on the freeways today with surface streets jammed and the sidewalks filled with pushy New Yorkers. Hey, how'd you like a details magazine up the wazoo? <laughs> oh, sure, single me out. All right, smart guy, where's the fire? Over there. <laughs> Oh, okay, you just bought yourself a 317, pointing out police stupidity. Or is that a 314? No, no, 314 is a dog uh, in... No, or is that a 315? You're in trouble, pal. That's, uh, that's I mean, police stupidity always funny, but... Uh... I, I know that it's, like, low-hanging fruit to pick at, like, the fact that on The Simpsons, nobody ever seems to remember their vast relationships with other characters. <laughs> but, I mean, Wiggum pulls over Homer as if he's never met him before, <laughs> doesn't know him, but they were in a band together once. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, <laughs> like, we talked about it during that episode, but, like, all these characters have to forget that they were in a world-famous band together. Mm. Like, whenever Homer is in Skinner's office talking about what Bart did, they can't ever talk about the B-sharps. Yeah. Uh, remember when we toured America and had a platinum selling album? Oh, well, anyway. I mean, the two characters who they often make jokes about that with are Mr. Burns, who doesn't remember anybody, and also Krusty never remembers Bart. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, the, the, the problem afflicts everybody in this universe. Uh, you know, they, they do have a lot of head trauma in this <laughs> world. <laughs> Too many uh, amnesia rays, as Burns would call them. Oh, yeah, I think you mean the revolver. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good, I love that uh, show. But yeah, but... we get Burns now. So I think, again, yeah. like uh, Scully has his own way of doing things. He has his own preferences, but I don't think he was very interested in Burns. Mm. Uh, so we see some good Burns in this episode and a fun joke with Homer. Yeah, I like, uh, I like that Homer insists he can't get in trouble if he isn't seen. I also like how long they take with him grabbing at the face behind him even explaining that those uh, finally explaining the dots on burns's head as officially liver, liver spots, spots yeah. yeah we find out that burns has dentures was that ever canon before 
before? Was that yes. ever revealed? Homer, okay. Homer the Smithers, like, I believe the fangs today. <laughs> yes, that's right. All right, that's why you guys are the masters. Yep, we make the big bucks. <laughs> uh, but we but we didn't know he had double dentures, and the yeah. second set of dentures he can bring down like a cash register. I just like any subversion of the he's right behind me, isn't he, joke. Uh, <laughs> Futurama had the, no, I'm actually in front of you. Yeah, that's joke. great. I like yeah. that one. I, apparently that was an act out in the writer's room they would do of he's right behind me. I, uh, that, so they, it's, it's just some writer's room funnies there. The Simpsons will be right back. Testing. Announcing the biggest event in Simpsons history. The Simpsons Global Fan Fest. It's a worldwide year-long celebration for every Simpsons fan. With contests, prizes, and great stuff that doesn't suck. (laughs) What is it? Nothing. Want to find out more? Log on to our brand new website, thesimpsons.com, for all the Simpsons Global Fan Fest activities. Strap yourself in and feel the cheese. And catch the Simpsons on the only network where you can see all new episodes, Sundays on Fox. Hi everyone, welcome to the break, and a big thank you to our perfect 300 game of a guest, Will Sloan, for coming on this week's podcast. We're big fans of his podcast, Michael and Us, and the Important Cinema Club, so please check those out and follow him on Twitter. And you know, this podcast, if you enjoy it, Talking Simpsons, you should consider subscribing on Patreon. Because that not only helps me and Bob do this full time, but also your support gets you a bunch of extras. First of all, you get to hear every episode of Talking Simpsons a week ahead of time and ad-free. The same goes for our sister podcast, What a Cartoon. That's the podcast where me and Bob cover a different animated series once a week in the same way that we deal with The Simpsons. On top of that, you get access to tons of podcasts that are only available to Patreon subscribers. Right now, we just wrapped up our Talking Mission Hill podcast where we gave the Talking Simpsons treatment to every episode of the cult classic series Mission Hill from Simpsons Legends, Bill Oakley, and Josh Weinstein. And you'll get to hear the entire back catalog of the other exclusive podcasts we did too, where we cover King of the Hill, Futurama, and The Critic in the same style as well. Please sign up today at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Five bucks a month gets you so much great stuff. And if you want the Fantastopotamus equivalent of a podcast, you want to go up to the premium level, 10 bucks a month at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. In addition to all that $5 stuff, you get our monthly What a Cartoon movie podcast. Me and Bob cover a different animated feature film in the same Talking Simpsons style, often for over four hours. This month, you'll get to hear our one about the Disney flop, The Black Cauldron, such an interesting backstory on that film. And the month before that, Space Jam, where we talked about the Michael Jordan Bugs Bunny team up. And there's a huge back catalog that you'll get to listen to over 80 hours of what a cartoon movies from stuff as diverse as Akira, Spider Man into the Spider Verse, a goofy movie, and a ton more. So please check all that out. 10 bucks a month, patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons.
I love that they bring back the classic workstation that they have not used in a million years of the tube arms and this time they increase they add in the tube legs for though burns has never been this yeah. strong ever he uh <laughs> summoning some like uh real strangling power there that the only time i re- i mean i'm sure they've appeared several times but the main time i remember seeing those two tube arms was in that season one episode with Jacques, the yeah, yeah. episode where you see Homer using the tube arms. And has Homer ever used those in any other context? After becoming safety supervisor, he stops the uh, tube arm job. I think so. Yeah. yeah. He, I remember he used it to pinch a guy's butt. Well, he used a robot arm to pinch a guy's butt through the glass. But uh, I don't recall him ever using those tube arms since then. No. Okay. The, Though I have to wonder how Burns... Burns has to be on a seat to kick with those two legs through the tube legs. We don't see where Smithers' hands are. (laughs) Oh, I see. (laughs) He's probably enjoying that then. uh, Smithers is pretty good in this scene of just reacting to Burns, first being like groped by Homer, and then his uh, confirmation to Burns that it is legally binding. He's got us there, sir. (laughs) Uh, Homer must have a pretty great union job that he doesn't just get fired from that after (laughs) after being gone an entire day. But uh, he has to pay for it by eating... uh, uh, a teaspoon at a time of toxic waste from an entire uh, 20 to 30 gallon supply yeah or drum supply rather <laughs> it's uh it's a death sentence is what burns gave him <laughs> but somehow obviously in the wacky world it's just the spit complete spitting in face of reality the idea that homer could eat 30 barrels of toxic waste <laughs> <laughs> and to have Lenny just say out loud, like, one of those will give you a tumor. Like, you are dead fr- right then. A lot of good Lenny in this episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, the most memorable thing of this episode is this uh, this next clip I have of uh-huh. Homer. Homer leaving work. Oh, this is the worst day ever. Hi, Homer. What gives? Mr. Burns is making me eat all these drums of toxic waste. Jeez, that's rough. There must be two, three hundred gallons in here. Yeah, and even a teaspoon could cause a fatal tumor. Hey, you want to come bowling with us tonight? Okay. <laughs> Hello? Homer? Where are you? You promised you were going to have a tea party with Maggie. Oh, Marge, I'm sorry. I can't make it. The cooling tank just blew and they're taking Lenny to the hospital. Oh, no, not Lenny. Not Lenny! <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to have to work late instead of seeing you and the kids, which is what I really want. Okay, sure. Kids, turn off the TV. I have some bad news about Lenny. <laughs> Not Lenny! <laughs> oh, all the Lenny stuff is great. And uh, we talked to the creator of Lenny, John Vitti. And uh, <laughs> Lenny and Carl were created just for people with faces to Homer, for Homer to talk to. Just like two named characters. And every joke about them since then has been like, these people are nobodies. They have no personalities. <laughs> so the joke here is like Marge is so invested in Lenny, even though Lenny is a nobody. He's probably never talked to, I had maybe two scenes with ever in the series at best. I I can't, I'm, I'm scrubbing my brain previous to this. I can't remember his scene with marge and lenny talking to each other before there's that uh flashback of them in high school where he's wearing the bull shirt oh and yeah Homer's doing gymnastics they're in the same audience but they don't talk to that's each true, other yeah. either yeah that's the cl- that's the you're, that's the best i can think of too it's my sense that say season nine season 10 season 11 these are when kind of self-aware 
kind of like meta jokes about the Simpsons itself start to become more prominent in the show. You know, later on in this episode, Homer refers to Maggie as the forgotten Simpson. <laughs> um, am, am I just making it up that like a joke like that about Lenny, you know, not Lenny probably wouldn't have happened in, you know, season six or so. But by now, it, the show is such an institution that it can make a joke like that. Oh, definitely. You're dead on about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Bill and Josh uh, in the season seven and eight, they are definitely thinking backwards and they are, you know, looking back on the life and they, they definitely have a meta episode, like say the Poochie episode, but I definitely in our Scully episodes we've done, we've been talking about like, oh, another joke about how they have no ending or how Lisa will say, didn't we do that already? Or hasn't this happened? Like we're, we're not too far away from Saddlesore Galactica where comic book guy as a character says out loud, you already had a horse. You did the, the Simpsons adopt a horse story. I think wearing the worst episode ever t-shirt too. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Not Lenny is the thing that has stuck with me ever since this episode. Like it's just hearing it now. I think Julie Kavner actually like is really giving it her all. On yeah. The, dr- the drama of Not Lenny. And like the upcoming visual jokes of just her making these like cross stitches, like get well Lenny <laughs> and the, uh, the almost like senior photo of Lenny with the rose next to it. Oh yeah. 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 And that they've seemingly like waited about, they just killed like four minutes to get to the point of homer goes bowling after work like that's the joke uh but that and also i like that you see that maggie is getting ignored by homer very early in this episode again like it's they at least yeah dot it all through for the most part the family is remarkably tolerant of homer in this episode uh you know oftentimes marge's patience is sorely tested by him but you know in this one like she she seems pretty nonchalant about the fact that he made up that huge lie just so he can go bowling with with the boys yeah she should uh she'll say later she's like well i'm just happy i'm relieved he's (laughs) okay like but they try to cover it up homer should be punished on some level for lying to his family but uh, Mm -hmm. not so yeah and i feel like every five years they remember homer likes to bowl because it defined him in season one we just revisited season one so like all the season one merch and the album and everything involving that season is just like homer the bowler that's all he does (laughs) he just loves bowling so much they just forget about it in season two and not until really pin pals uh team homer is bowling a major storyline yeah i I, you play the simpsons arcade game for example homer's like strong attack is a bowling ball and he fights a bowling ball boss and i think uh every every piece of merchandise mentioned bowling for homer at some point Uh, they they just completely dropped it as uh, I think I just saw it as them going like Homer's too lazy to bowl like that's too active for the lazy food monster that Homer has become and how many jokes can you do about bowling didn't they just do them all in one season yeah (laughs) (laughs) I I stand by my uh, fan theory that after losing his job at Barney's Bowlerama Homer was heartbroken Uh, and couldn't stand to go back there I can see that but yes this time Homer is bowling again and we get some uh, little funny jokes about making up your name at the bowling alley (laughs) hey carl check out the overhead scoreboard (laughs) (laughs) poo uh homer what wacky name do you want are poo and ass taken yeah damn could my life get any worse simpson even for a bowler you affect hey guys is it normal to see burns's face on a bowling ball Actually, I'd say you're having a severe psychotic episode. Uh, what a rotten date! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, a strike! Hey, if that's psychotic, then why am I taking these? 
<laughs> oh, you're polishing bone! Oh, the return of the Shino Ballo. I love so that. many callbacks, yeah. which is not even an Algene episode. I, I wonder if that was an animator who was given a script and, was, and they just had a ball shining joke and then they someone remembered to draw on the Shino Ballo there. But great. I, I would assume that uh, Milhouse has lost all of his scalp in there, yeah. I guess is what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> but I also like they set up Burns' liver spots and then it leads to a funny gag yeah. of the dots on the bowling ball. You never really think about like those, uh, those weird spots. And uh, also Homer's psychotic vision is it's almost too clever for him of like even for a bowler you're fat like oh, that's a good insult and uh, yeah I wonder now if uh, bowling alleys like I haven't been to one lately are there mods that prevent you from putting a swear on your screen oh like, uh, there weren't when I went for the last time like seven years ago okay i wouldn't even know where my local bowling alley is now I've, i there must be one around here yeah it's a once a decade activity for me <laughs> it, it's a fur it's uh it's supposed to be a fun like first date thing but uh, listen i'm yeah. lucky enough to have a name b.o.b i just fill those into those three <laughs> slots and i'm good you never bother with poo and ass that no the poo and ass joke also translates to arcade high scores as well still it still works f-u-k <laughs> <laughs> yeah the homer so homer starts bowling great there i oh i also do think it's extra funny that we go from the kids saying not lenny to uh, straight to lenny laughing like that's that's a good extra gag there yes homer is starting to do pretty good there we then get lenny warned not to jinx him which i think it's honestly too sweaty how many ways he says split and... uh frankly i was impressed by how they used every bowling term to that's refer true. to ice cream <laughs> it was uh i i took my hat I'm off for this seven for this split yeah spare me your gutter mouth henry <laughs> uh, and homer is pretty strong to throw a bowling ball like that at him too and uh but homer is doing better and better keeps getting strikes uh he even does a fred flintstone style reference tribute of a of tiptoeing up to the line and then rolling the yeah ball. that's right he was a bowler too that, that's where they got it from i guess i think so, uh, in season one homer is like 50 percent fred flintstone this is a very minor point but i like seeing homer in those bowling alley shoes uh the characters and their wardrobe are so kind of rigid and consistent that any little variation is very exciting to me mm -hmm. yeah it, it's a good extra detail i'm glad they cared to draw him wearing bowling shoes as he would be forced to wear on on the lanes as homer's doing great at, at bowling we then get a uh, a message from crusty <laughs> kids today we have to talk about crusty brand chew goo gum like substance we knew it contained spider eggs but the hantavirus, well, that really came out of left field. <laughs> so if any of you have experienced numbness or comas, send proof of purchase and $5 to Antidote, P.O. Box 14. This is Kent Brockman live from Barney's Volorama, <laughs> where local pinhead Homer Simpson is on the verge of a perfect game. Hey, there was no accident at the plant. Dad just wanted to go bowling. He shouldn't have deceived me, but I'm just so relieved when he's okay. <laughs> so I have the history of uh, spider eggs and gum, if you want to hear it. Yes. So uh, this is all about bubble yum. So bubble yum hit the streets in 1976. Would you believe it was the first soft bubble gum? Just never did a soft bubble gum before? Never like, before that. Bubble gum was always hard and you chewed it to make it soft. So the, this was like... The kind that cuts your cheek, as happens to Millhouse. Exactly, yeah. like, like the brittle, hard Bazooka Joe stuff, the stuff that's in baseball cards. So people were like, well, how does it get so soft? 
often kids were making up like, oh, there's spider eggs or spider legs in it. And this <laughs> pre-internet meme spreads so far that the Bubble Yum Corporation, which I think is like the Lifesavers, a company owns them. They had to put out a full page ad in 50 different newspapers saying, we don't have spider eggs in our gum. Our gum is fine. Here's how it's soft. Because people were just like mystified, like gum that's soft? Well, it's got to be full of bugs. <laughs> wow. Wow. So this is just a... Call back to just a an old, even then, old urban legend. When I was a kid, though, in the late 80s, uh, I would hear this, too, about wow. Bubble Yum. Like, people were still saying it, but I would still eat it because I was like, that's bullshit. <laughs> I, I was not a bubble gum guy, so I never never much cared for. I, I'm a spearmint guy. I don't like blowing mm. bubbles, but that I didn't realize that they had attested the gooiness of it but to spider eggs. like, no, we just got chemicals that are probably more dangerous than spider eggs for you. So, uh, and one other call back to early simpsons is that brockman's intro is cut off oh yeah which i didn't is even think of that a reference a... to a bob and ray bit where a newscaster's like first syllable is cut off when they cut to him and that is just an early simpsons thing so there wow. you go yeah i think ken brockman reminds me of how kind of trapped in amber all of the simpsons cultural reference points and all their archetypes are mm. to you know the early 90s because I, I i mean i know kent brockman is still a character on the simpsons but he feels like such a throwback to an earlier kind of newsman um i mean i think news anchors probably look more like Megan Kelly today than they do uh, Kent Brockman. Like the whole experience of TV news looks so different than Kent Brockman. And yet, you know, in the world of The Simpsons, it's it's 1990 forever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And even then, like uh, when the show started, it was a lot of the writers filtering their childhoods through this modern lens. And so mm. these are now like 50 year old references. Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of times he would be like Edward R. Murrow, right? He would have yeah. like, he would have like a person to person type TV interview show or whatever. Well, and when we did his, when we talked about his first appearance in our season one stuff, we uh, we mentioned the two of the L.A. guys he was based on specifically, and they're both dead, long dead now. Yeah, Hal like, Fishman yeah. and some other guy. <laughs> like, yeah, he, they're very much stuck in time. I wonder, you know, when you were saying that, well, I was thinking that this could end up being like how all of these Looney Tunes characters or these classic Mickey Mouse shorts, they're based on some old radio personality who's been dead for 70 years now, like. Well, it, it's funny you should mention that because most people don't know that Foghorn Leghorn was actually based on a character from the Fred Allen show. Right. Uh, yeah. Which, which is a totally forgotten phenomenon now. But yeah, it was based on a character called Senator Claghorn. And any audience in 1940 would have known that. And actually, you know, I, I know they're reviving the Looney Tunes now. They're doing a bunch of new Looney Tunes cartoons. And I'm, I'm rooting for it. Although I do wonder, like, do, do today's kids even have the same relationship with like a Western guns? slinger like yosemite sam <laughs> that's true or, uh, or or a hunter like elmer fudd um I'm, i hope so but you know <laughs> i i hope today's kids can still relate to these characters but who knows you just need to tell today's kids that bugs bunny is the chungus and then they'll, they'll <laughs> oh love him for it's that. the small version of big chungus yeah. i get it <laughs> Yeah, the the Brockman cutting in thing there is, uh, it tells me that Springfield does not have very much going on than a a perfect bowling game, which I mean, it's not like those never happen, or it's not like they're not kind of rare, but it's not like a pitching a perfect game in, you know, Major League Baseball, for instance. If you go to a bowling alley, you'll normally see like, here are the people that bowled a perfect game, and there's like 30 names, and Mm. like space for more people too. I like that the episode kind of acknowledges how ridiculous it is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that, that also that he gets 
to be a local a local celebrity just from that uh at this point brockman should know very well homer simpsons he's reported on him i'd say two dozen times at this point <laughs> yes and also when it comes back to the bowling alley you can see lenny eating his banana split in the background yeah that's a that's nice a good continuity yeah. yeah he got a replacement i guess <laughs> oh that hanta virus joke i'm like boy this feels different in 2020 now too the spreading of a virus through bubble gum that feels different now mm-hmm. they all go to cheer on homer we get to see what looks like a bunch of animators cheering him on in the yeah. background they're just so specific and i'll tell you what Al G never met a natural parody or sorry an other natural parody that he didn't like because yes. he we did this in homer at the bat and uh, i don't know if people even know this movie anymore no way no way do they know i mean i have i've only seen clips from it the ending and the beginning of it i think uh will have you ever seen robert redford's the natural no i never have although i was I, i'm glad you pointed out it's a parody of the natural because it's one of those moments where i knew this is parodying something <laughs> you know and it went right over my head i think it was lost on a lot of the 1999 audience i think homer yeah. at the bat was the last time you could really do uh, the natural parody because <laughs> yeah well if you didn't see the natural or didn't hear them mention it on like commentaries so that's how i knew yeah me too yeah, the the you'd see the posing on it the music is just so specific that it couldn't be just made up for that episode i i on the commentary al gene even goes like yes it's the natural again we use that music again it's uh <laughs> it's really only when you want to do slow motion gags which is like murdering animators because they have oh, to yeah. make more drawings for you uh, the director mike b anderson kind of calls that out on the commentary of like this isn't easy you know <laughs> slow motion stuff i also think they use the natural because it's a fox movie and so they don't have to pay extra mm. music ro- or they really they just pay themselves the music royalty rights to to use it that movie starts out with with robert redford being shot by a woman who doesn't want him to be the best baseball player ever it's <laughs> a it's a weird opening that i i only knew that because it's referenced in in the show archer does a lengthy scene just recreating it wow and it confused the hell out of me until i looked up the concurrent scene in the natural also isn't joe don baker in that movie as babe ruth oh is so, he oh, dear. I, oh. I, I, think I, could, I could be wrong but i think he is if i'm wrong i'm sorry for spreading misinformation but uh, no movie with joe don baker can be bad if you're wrong then hollywood is wrong because he's the perfect babe ruth he is he is perfect is babe man well so you're saying that all all of the pierce brosnan james bond movies are great as well by that same uh, logic <laughs> yeah and no everything the man touches just by virtue of his presence is a must see <laughs> mitchell final justice uh, especially uh, mitchell and final justice uh and so the family arrives as homer is about to finish it uh there it's a kind of cute joke how homer is just feeling bad that his, his family won't join him so lonely i'm so lonely we do a slow motion joke where abe is actually moving as fast as he can <laughs> which uh clearly he's dying uh and then, and then homer like flings the ball like it's a shot put or something like i i feel like throwing the ball like that and destroying the bowling alley is disqualifying and his 300 shouldn't count i think so stepping yeah. over a line docks you five points what does uh, destroying all those pins get you right but it's a really good i do like especially the the animation of the shock wave on the dust that comes up from his throat it's really it's really good drawings and the single puny balloon after they turn the keys <laughs> is very great yeah i i know it's kind of low-hanging fruit to talk about the crowd scenes and the simpsons but you know it's worth noting that the crowd around homer includes herman from herman's military antiques my favorite character <laughs> oh yeah mo and also wiggum who we just earlier saw 
you know, like pulling Homer over, but is now right by his side cheering on his perfect game. <laughs> it's never, it's never really, uh, I mean, I don't think there's any intent behind putting people in the crowd. It's like, let's have familiar characters in the crowd. But then you're like, why is Skinner at this courtroom trial? Right. Why is Krusty on this bus? Like they, you, start, you start asking questions and it, it leads to some fun areas. Herman especially should be in jail at this point in the sh- series, yeah. I think. Well, yeah, because we found out that he's he's Zed from Pulp Fiction. Yes, yeah. And also the uh, the counterfeit jeans ring. I mean, yeah. already he should have been in jail for that. But the yeah, I felt like they should never bring Herman. After they made him Zed in the dark place, they went <laughs> yeah. with those Joker Mike. I think you've gone as far as you can with Herman now. Uh, so we take commercial break on Homer spiking his bowling ball. I think the guy he hit lives in Frank Grimes' old apartment. <laughs> Between two bowling alleys. There must be another bowling alley below that one then. Yeah. <laughs> a subterranean bowling alley. And uh, then Homer reveals his uh, bucket list, which he had uh, long before the 2007 movie coined the term. It's weird to even think of it being called anything other than a bucket list to me now. Like, no, nobody remembers that Morgan Freeman Jack Nicholson movie, but uh, <laughs> it's, everybody uses the term now. That was like the last Jack Nicholson movie, too. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you're forgetting about How Do You Know, the, uh, oh. James, the uh, uh, James L. Brooks film that he oh, made a, a small appearance in. That's <laughs> in the Simpsons verse. That's right. Oh, God. I figured you guys, if anything, would be up on your James L. Brooks trivia. I uh, I definitely skipped we, that one. We met him. We never talked about How Do You Know, though. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was in, he was grabbing some fruit at the, uh, at the spread there. We're like, hey, thank you, sir. I probably, I think we were both pushed to shake his hand by our, our guest who was like, who got us in and they're like no say hi to james l brooks but uh, the nice guy nice guy yeah yeah nice yeah. beard good yes. funny laugh mm-hmm. i like it oh yeah we sat behind him the whole table read didn't we and got to hear his his infectious laugh his famous laugh yeah ha, ha, ha. Like, like that homer on his bucket list he has now seen stevie nicks three times already naked i should say <laughs> i would hope through consensual means homer at the very least i hope he's not peeped on her yeah, homer is canceled <laughs> <laughs> and uh i also i do like the posing of homer going like thank the man upstairs Stairs, Carl. And he just points sideways to Carl. I forgot about that joke. That's a good Love joke. it. Yeah, Lenny and Carl are like superstars in this episode. They really get a lot. He should. I mean, he definitely shouldn't thank Lenny. Carl was supporting him the whole time while Lenny was trying to, to mess him up. And uh, then Homer speaks to Bart's class. Children, today's local hero is Homer Simpson. Yeah! Mr. Simpson bowled a perfect game. Without the aid of steroids, crack, angel dust, or the other narcotics that are synonymous with pro bowling. Thank you, Bart's teacher. (laughs) You know, kids, my teacher said I would never amount to anything. And until last week, they were dead right. But now I've achieved perfection. Hmm. (laughs) Any questions? Yes, Bart's weird friend. Will you be my dad? (laughs) <laughs> You've got a father. He's just a dud. Next question. <laughs> yes, the girl Bart has a crush on. Do you think I could grow up to be a doctor? Hey, this was supposed to be about me. Now, any other questions? Pumpkin face? Headgear? Chicken pox? Smelly? Lazy eye? Spiky head? <laughs> okay, class dismissed. Rock on! Hooray! Hooray! Want to split the birthday cupcakes? 
Okay, so two things. Uh, a Wendell joke, number one. And one thing oh, I forgot yeah, to mention. Oh, a Wendell reference. Yeah, him being sick, but in a different way. Yeah. Another thing I forgot to mention is that there are two uh, uses of cupcakes. As we learned from season one, cupcakes are the currency of the Simpsons you're, world. You're right. So yeah. he's eating cupcakes in the beginning for breakfast or a muffin, maybe. And then there's talk of cupcakes here. So They, they look just like those ones in the opening look just like the season one cupcakes. They're all the all brown cupcakes of season one. I forgot. Like, yeah, you pointed out in that there's even a simpsons video game where cupcake is a button yeah i think it's like bart simpson's cupcake mania or something yeah is it my imagination or haven't cupcakes like by this time sort of faded out as simpsons iconography they were very heavy heavily employed in season one Oh yeah, one was like cupcake, uh, the peak cupcake saturation for the Simpsons. Mm, yeah, they. I think they pretty much stop with the only postseason one cupcake joke I can think of is the Clockwork Orange reference yeah. of Homer, of Bart trying to grab the cupcakes that keep shocking him. And that was uh, Bart Simpson's Cupcake Crisis. Uh, uh, yes, that's a handheld game. game. <laughs> okay, there's another reference to Bart having a crush on Sherry or Terry, which is interesting because in season nine and. On the football team, Sherry or Terry told Bart that their sister has a crush on Bart. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, does this mean it's it's mutual, these feelings? I, I think they have not uh, put together Bart of Bart's many love interests in the show. I don't think Sherry or Terry has been one. No, no. Uh, just another way to embarrass Bart, I think. But I'd like to know. Yeah. And that's all. I mean, Sherry and Terry are around a lot through most of the series, but they're definitely season one freaks who are <laughs> trying to look as normal as possible here. And uh, I had never... I call me you know illiterate i've never i never heard of that book fear of flying until this joke here uh, i mean we learned about it in the simpsons episode of the same name oh right yeah okay it w- that uh but it's not a joke within the episode it's just a title joke right uh but, yeah yeah but it, we talked about it just like a famous feminist book okay yeah okay. yeah i don't know why she's teaching it in her class that <laughs> uh, she has a teacher's edition of it oh yeah so that implies okay so yeah. that's I, thought, I thought she was just reading it herself because you know she's kind of a you know a kind of a liberated woman or mm. you know uh you know I, I can imagine her being a sort of first wave feminist type you know an erica jong fan perhaps yeah yeah though you're right bob it does say teacher's edition on it which i guess in a you know in an english class the teacher would have their copy of it and the rest of the class has their own if there's a teacher edition that would imply the rest of the class has their own copies of fear of flying hmm. also homer can't spell perfection that's uh he's, he's quite stupid <laughs> there and and mill a donkey on millhouse's dad that's a great joke and it's even better homer calls his dad a dud which a dud. is what homer calls millhouse in uh, the summer four foot two <laughs> and then we have the return of springfield squares from crusty gets canceled so another yes, yeah. classic callback you're right and what a collection of stars that we have on springfield squares i mean <laughs> i i think that they're almost worth maybe going through one at a time because rainier oh, sure. wolf castle crusty sideshow mel these are obviously the people you would expect to be on springfield squares but princess cashmere is there mm-hmm. uh, a long long ago throwback to season one That's she right. was the uh, exotic dancer 
who I guess caused uh, Homer to be briefly tempted or to, <laughs> to fool to, to be foolish. And I think he was photographed with her, mm. uh, but also itchy and scratchy are in there, which is interesting because we were always told that in the context of this universe, they were fictional characters. And here they are living cartoons mm. in the world. Who yeah. like, they're not, they're not puppet versions of themselves. It's just the cartoons are alive and there. I don't like that very much. Um, <laughs> I think it goes against too much of the kind of metaphysics of of the Simpsons universe. Yeah, I think there was a, on the commentary they said there was a debate in the writers' room, like should we have Itchy and Scratchy on here? But I guess uh, somebody won. I, somebody won a fight. I, I think that the joke would work the same if it was just another per or like. Uh, I don't know, just a puppet or something, or just another famous person. Uh, like, like Gabbo or something. Yeah, Gabbo would totally yeah. work there. Just do that. But like, they do bring back the goofball. So that's true. Uh, another old timer. You know, when you mentioned Cashmere, I think she's there because in the previous Springfield Squares one they did, she was one of the sexy ladies that goes into Barry White's square as the tide starts rolling in and the Krusty gets canceled joke about Hollywood Square. <laughs> We don't learn if Rainier Wolfcastle has made uh, Help Me My Son as a Nerd too. Uh, yeah, he didn't get talked to. They should have talked to him. I, so, I mean, who here was a viewer of Hollywood Squares in their youth? Well, that's interesting. People may not remember that there were obviously two incarnations. There was the old Hollywood Squares, but then in the 90s, there was that revived Hollywood Squares that had Whoopi Goldberg as the center square. Mm -hmm. And I think it was hosted by perennial TV host Tom Bergeron. Yep. That's right. Uh, so obviously I'm coming here from a certain level of, of knowledge because it was one of those shows that was on like midday seemingly every day so yeah i saw i saw like a ton of it without ever really liking it i watched a bit of the revival too the only thing that well i remember two things from it one was gilbert gottfried's yep. run of you fool you fool it's yeah you fool runner uh mm. and another one is this just strange picture that was going around uh in the wrestling twitter uh which was macho man randy savage was a square one week along with the puppet the bear in the big blue house oh my god and they're in squares next to each other talking to each other man and this is like ready player one the version i want to see <laughs> that's that's why i feel like they couldn't do that now like two in character people that are owned by different companies talking to one another on a game show you'd never that kind of ip usage would not be allowed now and uh, they, i mean they're lucky they got ron howard to come all the way to springfield for springfield <laughs> squares a local guess, version of it i guess he still lives there and they did uh, correctly realize like ron howard was the best part of that episode and he was funny in it yes oh yeah the uh, alec baldwin and kim basinger not very funny he was easily the funniest in there it's a little random though that ron howard is in this episode like you know like wh why this episode why ron <laughs> howard you know yeah i guess i mean it come i i assume it is that al Jean later wants him to give hollywood dad advice to homer so they're like he needs to appear slightly earlier in here it's also funny that they had his character design already but in that episode he wears clothes like there's only one scene in the previous episode where he's in a bathrobe the entire time but in this episode yeah. he only wears a bathrobe everywhere he goes and always has a drink yes he's also a drunk which uh, i mean he's having fun with them at least but uh, yes why don't we hear homer on the this is much more in this clip the 70s version of hollywood squares that that gene had grown up with <laughs> okay, we'll start with our returning champion, Disco Stew. Disco Stew's gonna groove up some dough playing tic-tac-toe. 
Still, we like to downplay the resemblance to Tic-Tac-Toe. <laughs> I can dig it. Hit me with but... the center square. Uh, Homer? Yes, Kent? Uh, according to Red Book Magazine, what is the speed of light? Well, yet, wait, uh, wait, uh, do I read from the sheet labeled jokes or answers? Go for the loop. <laughs> Stop tape. Make me center square, Kent. I'm ready. I can handle it. Dream on, drunkie. Oh, that's it. You're going down. <laughs> oh. Stop it, you two. You're making Scratchy cry. Oh, we've got to stop putting these flavors of the month on. Flavor of the month? Me? Yeah, Homer. You can't just ride one accomplishment forever. Why do you think I stopped acting and became a director? Oh. Because you weren't cute anymore? Mm, I'll agree. Circle gets the square. Good night, everyone. <laughs> oh, they're right about that. Yeah, he, he did stop being... I mean, as the hairline receded and the baseball cap went on. That's, uh, More that's... freckles emerged. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're, you're telling me that Ron Howard is bald? <laughs> I, you only found out when he got Listen. Oscar nominated and he could not wear his baseball cap there. <laughs> we didn't tell you. That's the secret of baseball hat guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cheat if somebody is a baseball hat guy and they actually have hair. Like, I, I'm mad at them. But, I mean, Ron Howard, funny guy, but yeah, yeah. Uh, he's and he's at least having a good time in this too. He's uh, you know sometimes he directs a good movie, not hmm. always, but uh, <laughs> not I, often. No, Was not he often. like Oscar winner yet? No, no, no. That uh, a Beautiful Mind that would was like be... two thousand, wasn't okay. it? Okay, yeah, it would have been. I think right, like right on the cusp of him winning hmm. an Oscar. And even that, like that, really should not have happened. No, you know? absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I do. I always love the joke about how they don't have the rights to tic tac toe and they can't really talk about it. Just like, uh, no, this is a different game. That's good, yeah. I also like that they blow the lid on how it's all just pre-written beforehand. And, like, Charles Nelson Riley doesn't just on the cuff make up the statement. <laughs> they, those guys were too drunk to make jokes on the spot. Uh, yeah, listen to Gilbert Goffey's podcast. Uh, he, when he was on the set of that revival, he would hear the stories of uh, all the drinking and carousing and all of the uh, anti-Semitism Paul Lynn would go into when he got drunk. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, again, uh, Gilbert Goffey tells the same stories a lot because he's an old man, but he likes telling the story about Paul and getting drunk going the Jews ruined my career oh, I hate the Jews oh, uh, and that was him saying it not me yes. yeah you, wow. uh, the Jewish problematic people problematic fave Paul yes. yeah, Paul, Paul, poor he, Paul Lind. he died very uh, sad yeah. uh, and, and drunken so. that's unfortunate yeah, poor Paul Lind uh, but so Homer gets uh, thrown off Hollywood squares then we cut to a Penn and Teller magic performance in this next clip now before my partner Teller hits the shark infested water I'll need to borrow someone's crossbow. I only need one. Now, to save my partner's life, I'll need complete... Hello, everybody. Did somebody say a perfect game? <laughs> you idiot. You'll ruin everything. I'm doing a walk-on. It's a show business thing. Oh, how y'all doing? Let's see. What's in the news today? Will you shut up? Hey, I thought you never talked. Uh... I didn't mean to. It just slipped out. Oh, God, now Penn's gonna beat me. <laughs> Folks, it's all part of the act. No, it isn't. Don't leave me alone with him. You've ruined the act. I'm gonna kill you. He'll do it. I'm not the first teller. Remember, Springfield, keep on swinging. Hey, come here. I, I just want to talk to you. Come here. Come here. Ooh, ooh. Guys? Yeah, so I don't know if Teller talked uh, before this or since this, but it felt like groundbreaking television when I saw this. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, yeah, th- this was a huge event. And, you know, he just sounds like any other guy. Just a guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't associate Penn and Teller with magic or libertarian <laughs> documentaries. I associate him with coming up next on Comedy Central. Yeah. Mark oh, Tupper gosh. gets into sexy fun on Dream On. <laughs> You know, the Penn and Teller scene is funny enough, although it's it's an example of basically the last 20 years of The Simpsons. All of the celebrity guest cameos seem just a little bit random. Mm. Um, like, like why why Penn and Teller, except that, you know, they'd never been on before. And um, I guess they had access to Penn and Teller that week. Yeah, it feels like they had a blank spot in their thing of like, if we can see what celebrity we could get this week and Homer will interrupt them doing something and... Penn and Teller were around, but I, uh, Penn and Teller are not key to this. And unlike Ron Howard, they don't even come back for a plot point. It's just a joke of Homer interrupting somebody that this could have been any celebrity doing what they do. And Homer steps on the screen. Although I guess Penn and Teller have an association with like Vegas showbiz. So I guess there's a tradition of like, you know, Dean Martin popping up on the Jerry Lewis telethon by surprise, or, (laughs) you know, some Rat Pack guy showing up on another Rat Pack that guy's stage so it's like it's like that kind of chummy vegas phony showbiz archetype maybe that's an archetype i'm making up right now i think you're right i think well gene al gene and the other classic simpsons writers they they talk about how that the dean martin jerry lewis reconnecting was like a major on the telethon was a major moment in their lives like they'd never they never forgot it uh yeah for us it's when old becky came back to roseanne (laughs) (laughs) the penn and teller stuff too is they at least make up a good magic trick that you would think like they'd probably do this this seems like one of theirs uh though yeah the michael and us has a really great podcast about their show bullshit mm. and uh, the the libertarian porn tell show that it was oh yeah well pen and teller bullshit which i guess ran in the 2000s is kind of a testament to just how just how desperate people were for anything other than the kind of like official bipartisan narrative of the united (laughs) states like people were desperate for anything that seemed a little bit uh a little bit edgy a little bit um looking at the world in a different way but i guess nobody had really discovered left politics yet Mm -hmm. the sense that well there's got to be something going on that's that's not the official story there's got to be somebody who's not just spouting the same platitudes that the two major parties are um and so penn and teller who you know are basically just republicans who swear uh came in to (laughs) to fill that niche (laughs) well i mean in in the libertarian tradition they are conservatives except they want to have you know pot they want to have drugs and they want to work with sex workers which hey you know they they should be that's one of those things like oh i would agree that's why i started watching that show before i knew what their whole deal was on the show i started with like their i think it was their death penalty episode i'm like yeah i agree no death penalty good and then i think the next episode was about how disability laws go too far and actually they found a disabled guy who doesn't like disability laws oh, like boy. It, that that episode sucks they have an amazing one about walmart where oh yeah this was at the height of people like walmart was the amazon of its day this was the height of people talking <laughs> about the inhumane conditions that were going on at walmart and their whole thesis was hey actually walmart's great for for communities look at this look at this person who you know with her minimum wage job is now able to support her child and then they interviewed documentary filmmaker robert greenwald who's just like an independent lefty documentary filmmaker who made a very modest documentary kind of debunking walmart 
Um, and their big their big gotcha moment for Robert Greenwald is, oh, uh, Mr. Holier Than Thou, Robert Greenwald, uh, he uses a non-union editor. <laughs> oh, God, good. I, good I just remember uh, a few of the things that made me scratch my head as a, like, uh, I was running the DVDs of bullshit through Netflix, and one of the things was, like, the anti-recycling episode. It's like, oh, you only recycle because it makes you feel good, but actually, the jobs it creates are not even good jobs. And then right. uh, there was one about electric cars. I remember I was at a friend's house, and I was like, just turn this off. Because one of the things they had against electric cars was basically, eh, they're pretty gay, aren't they? Kind of gay. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus. Damn. Yeah. But and, like, I think like 80% of their episodes were really easy targets. It was like kind of self-help guru stuff or uh, so, sort of like fake medicine type stuff or a lot of stuff about God, which, you know, Penn is not in favor of. He's not what? about that. So like there's, there's a lot in there. It's just like very, very easy stuff. But the popularity of that show is a testament to the fact that the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, particularly at that time, they each had like, like they, they were such codified systems of values, you know, to be a Republican meant to be religious, uh, to be against drugs, to be against sex work, um, and to have all of these sort of economic values in addition to that. And, and so people like Penn and Teller come along and or, or like Ron Paul is another example, mm. because they deviate in a couple of minor areas from the party line, you know, they're, they're for drugs, for mm. instance. It seems like, well, this is a really nuanced, you know, a really interesting thinker. I I will say my final thoughts on Penn Jillette is that I don't trust him because he's never had any alcohol or drugs, but not for health or religious reasons. Really? I don't I don't trust anybody like that. That doesn't make sense. No. Yeah. Um, I respect Penn Jillette for picking former Screw Magazine editor Al Goldstein <laughs> off the street when he was homeless and paying for his rent for the last couple of years. So, I think if you're going to be a libertarian, you should at least walk the walk and do you know, pay, yeah. pay Al Goldstein's rent. So to make a painful analogy, Penn Jillette was the Peter Bogdanovich to Al Goldstein's Orson Welles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank That's you. actually a, a perfect a perfect analogy. Thank you. I'm very smart. <laughs> uh, so we come back uh, to the Simpsons home with uh, Homer heartbroken. He, Oh, yeah, I meant to mention, too, he's wearing his pin pal shirt in that scene. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, as we know, John Waters' character, John, had it on before. So I have to think Homer got it back from John after he hit it big in the bowling alley. But, yeah. So when he comes home, Maggie's watching television and he's watching that. She's watching the happy little elves of all things. And they literally didn't make a big appearance since like a one shot uh, joke in like season three or like an appearance in season three. Although there was like a happy little elves lunchbox in Lard of the Dance. I looked this up, by the uh, way. Okay. This is not off the top of my head. I'm not a psycho. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like after season one, they were just done. Yeah, we we made a big point in our season one thing. Like you could watch the, the writers get tired of making happy little elves jokes and they just anytime they were going to parody cartoons it was going to be itchy and scratchy they didn't need happy little elves to make fun of smurfs yeah and smurfs literally ended the same month the simpsons came on the air so <laughs> uh and uh but maggie she's i'm i'm glad she's watching that instead of like a I feel like a barney if she was watching like say barney that would be even more dated so and uh the, the then current teletubbies they get referenced later so you can't see them here well something i like about i guess the earlier simpsons episodes is they did didn't always make the direct pop culture references they would instead create these archetypes so you know rainer wolfcastle it was a character instead of arnold schwarzenegger or the happy little elves were characters instead of um uh the the teletubbies or the 
uh, Smurfs or there's an early episode, I think season two, where they're watching a Siskel and Ebert type TV show with two movie critics, but it's not actually Siskel and Ebert. It's two kind of generic sweater wearing argumentative <laughs> TV critics. That's that's a really good point. I think Al Jean, when he took over in his years, they, they got more into it. And it happens in these Scully seasons, too. They got more into just they are watching the thing that it is. They don't abstract it in a way with a, with a parody version of it. Like on The Critic, they didn't make up people. Or they rarely made up people. I think the only time I can think of them really making someone up was their Jean-Paul Jean Paul Le Pope. Yes, the, the Jean-Claude Van Damme parody. Uh, how did we do that? And probably because... <laughs> the plot is Jean-Claude Van Damme trying to murder crit the critics yeah. so I feel like that was just them covering their asses for a lawsuit in that case. But but with the, with the critic it's a more kind of direct film industry media satire whereas on the Simpsons the Simpsons are supposed to be this archetypal every family and the world around them is also supposed to be similarly you know archetypal universal and so those early seasons are less uh, stick more to that and are less weighed down by very current topical cultural mm. references like references to the then new entertainment nightly programming access hollywood are we just oh forced... yes i think we're now just forced <laughs> to watch that before movies now when we go to the uh, theater yeah i've heard i've heard a lot from maria menounos but, and uh, but mario of... lopez yeah. <laughs> but now i've been so out of a theater so long i would want to hear from menounos again about uh, about all the fun things i'm missing on tnt now when i see pat o'brien i think about his sex scandal from the mid-2000s yeah. Yeah. I had, I had oh, completely yeah. forgotten about that. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw him. I don't have clips, obviously, but he left a lot of like drunken, sexually explicit voicemails on an unknown woman's uh, voicemail box. Like, I don't know the relationship between them. So maybe it's it's fine if you leave consensual drunken messages that are sexy. But they came out and they ruined him briefly. But he was like having a lot of alcohol problems. I saw a video of him talking about he was like drinking. One night he drank 18 bottles of wine. How, what yeah that's, yeah that is insane that's andre I, the giant i mean that's obviously very tragic and you know my heart goes out to pat o'brien i do remember hearing that when that when that happened and hearing those voicemail messages and it added a strange new dimension to him because i mean i think we all know that to be a host of access hollywood is like the lowest way to make a living <laughs> um and and there always seems something about him like th th like there's something there's something sad and pathetic about like a middle-aged man with a mustache who looks like a news anchor and is talking about, ah, you know, Jennifer's pregnant again. And I uh, want you know, what does this mean for, for her movie career? You know, whatever. And then, then finding out that beneath that, that uh, exterior lurked like such darkness lurks yeah. such demons. Like he was like, he sounded like bad Lieutenant. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It added an interesting element of pathos to his character. Yeah. Uh, and Nancy O'Dell, of course, we all know her and she's very famous and popular i i don't know what that is but uh her record is spotless nancy yeah, odell i mean she was the least a coast of access hollywood well now now when i say the word access hollywood i can't not think of our president fuck uh, you're right oh, yeah. God, yeah. yeah what which has nothing to do with this incarnation of access hollywood and unlike gabbo he was not brought down no sadly <laughs> yeah like now it's just known as the access hollywood tape when billy bush I recorded him yeah but uh at access 
Hollywood, though, I found out, I thought it was like it aired on NBC then, but it was always an NBC production. They just syndicated it. Mm, that's so, where the money is. <laughs> and there's there's always been a deep connection between the Trump White House or between Donald Trump and NBC. So whenever you see like MSNBC talk about how much they, they dislike him, I just remember like, well, pretty much made him exactly who he is today. So yeah, also the, I wonder if they couldn't get entertainment tonight when I see Access Hollywood in this. I That's don't what know. that tells me, yeah. yeah. Or that uh, Access Hollywood came to them. I Access Hollywood is new I, at the time. Apparently, it actually is an intentional ripoff of Entertainment Tonight in that an old executive producer of Entertainment Tonight left and then just created Access Hollywood, mm. the same show. And I think it's the bigger one. I think uh, that Mario Lopez is on Access Hollywood, not Entertainment Tonight. So, Oh, that makes me sad. Uh, <laughs> Entertainment Tonight is the venerable brand, and so it will have my loyalty. <laughs> John Tesh told me how to feel. <laughs> yeah. They employed Leonard Maul for many years. So That's they're right. in my good books for that. Uh, but here, Access Hollywood of 1999 is letting Homer know it's over. Burt Reynolds apologized to the Pope and promised to replace the windshield. Burt Reynolds' class act. Well, now for our weekly segment, Yesterday's News, featuring Homer Simpson. Are you as bored as I am with the antics of this warmed-over Fred Flintstone? I say it's time to put this one-trick pony out to stud. Woohoo! First up, Mud Flanders! Homer! <laughs> Dad, what she's saying is you've had your moment in the sun and now it's time for you to gracefully step aside. Lisa, I know what's going on here. They did it to Jesus and now they're doing it to me. <laughs> Are you comparing yourself to our Lord? Well, in bowling ability. So, like, uh, Nancy O'Dell got the whole metaphor wrong. Not put him mm. at the stud. Put him at the pasture, Nancy. Yes. <laughs> you set Homer up for a joke. That's all that was for. You're right. It doesn't yeah. make sense. Like, you put him at the stud means we're going to send champion. this horse out to fuck yeah. and make more horses. And it's a champion horse you do that to, not a, not one who's over the hill. So, Nancy O'Dell, shame on you. But also, <laughs> I just realized, because we were talking about Nicholson, that reference to Burt Reynolds, like, smashing the Pope Mobile with a golf club is a reference to Nicholson smashing a car with a golf club in a road rage incident from the uh, 80s. I forgot I all did not about know that. that. Yeah. I remember some, I now remember it as a Johnny Carson-ish joke of saying like, and he's not even the Jack Nicholas who golfs. Like, what's he doing? They're also would never be this mean to any celebrity on Access Hollywood, I have to think. This is a strong amount of editorializing by Nancy O'Dell here. They don't want to burn that uh, Simpson Bridge. They could work <laughs> I gotta say, I do find the Access Hollywood segment a bit disappointing because I feel like, uh, you know, Golden Age Simpsons better simpsons would have had more of a satiric angle on access hollywood mm. they seem to present access hollywood as basically like a benign or a good thing yeah they're they're on the side of access hollywood it's very it is a far cry from say rock bottom in in season yeah. six yeah and rock bottom is another example of the sort of thing that's like a, a kind of archetypal generic media parody that is obviously spoofing something that was relevant and and specific to the time uh like hard copy but it's, it's also very eternal yeah well meanwhile this access hollywood thing they even have the logo on screen which that feels <laughs> just like an ad. right yeah that, it yeah. feels like a negotiation had to happen there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Homer then, in a scene that has haunted me ever since, <laughs> me too. Homer swallows his balloon accidentally. And he, I like the joke after that, like, what was that about? <laughs> that was good, yeah. Uh, yeah. You've glossed over the reemergence of Homer's crush on Maude Flanders. Oh, oh yes, right, yeah. yeah. Maude, that, that is another Gene callback, I guess. Well, they, Scully had done those jokes in season nine, too, yeah, like the one you just said, but... 
Yeah, they there's a it's an awkward moment on the commentary because they pause for a moment to be like, wait, yes, this one is from before she dies because they they recorded that commentary after they recorded the death one, and so they're like, oh, is this a grocery? Okay, no, no, it's and then Gene makes the necrophilia joke, which is very funny. Yeah, (laughs) like actually, Uh, it's from after she's dead. (laughs) And Homer is feeling so depressed that uh, he's told to talk to his life partner by Marge, so he goes to Moe's and talks it out with Moe. recognizes himself as homer's life partner too it's a it's a label he invites as well and he's very proud of his uh or actually disappointed in his three radishes yeah three three radishes i like how long it takes him to count and <laughs> that he just stops he's a pretty bad life partner to stop listening to homer there in the middle of what he was saying basically this whole gag or this whole scene was just to justify the gag of Mo being his life partner. Yeah, Homer immediately (laughs) leaves. It was just the setup of the smash cut to Mo. Uh, Just to be mean to Marge. It was really just to let it you know that Homer does not respect Marge or see her as a life partner. Uh, And so Homer then walks the streets singing the the end, the Doors song. They they say on the commentary they were pretty proud of getting that because the Doors doesn't license their songs to just about anything. So they they were able to get get the Doors then to but it's not like a full Apocalypse Now reference. No, not really. I, I just thought that like it uh, it was a good pull for Homer's second suicide attempt on record. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I was like uh, I was like oh what building does he go into I forget but there's no joke it's just like Springfield State Building I thought there yeah. was going to be like a funnier sign there missed a chance yeah. there for a joke uh, and it does feel very Algene that he writes a licensed song into the script that Homer sings along to that you uh-huh. have to that means you got to get the rights before you do the joke pretty much this was information I did not know until doing the research for this and this could be wrong because it's from the you know the fan wiki for simpsons but it's a british people tell me if this is true it says that in the original airing for this in the uk on channel four the entire suicide section was cut off and Mm. homer walking on the street singing the doors then goes instantly to the ron howard scene like that they cut all of it out for that that channel four airing yeah, I mean, uh, it's all played for comedy, but I honestly think uh, as silly as this all is, they really wouldn't do this now. No, no. The, I mean, I think these suicide jokes, like, obviously we, you know, self-harm is bad and uh, I, I think it's fine. It's good that we don't, as cavalierly, make fun of uh, suicide like we used to. But it feels like it comes from the same place as the countless suicide jokes that are in Looney Tunes from the, the 40s. Uh, though, in the, like, especially the line of jumpers that are all going to jump off off together yeah yeah uh it's uh, it's pretty dark not not what i would associate with an algene uh, script really it feels yeah. like it would be a, a meaner uh, meaner scully script i mean he obviously survives but it's not played for the with uh, the same like sort of uh, sincerity as his homer's odyssey suicide attempt was even though that was also a series of gags yes mm-hmm. Well, though this just like that episode, the cliffhanger for the end of the second act is a suicide attempt as well, which uh, I have a tiny clip from that. Well, world, this is it. You know, I always thought you'd die before me. <laughs> now as I prepare my soul for an eternity of fire and poking. Yeah, let's chat more splat, pal. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe they added that bit that that guy shoves Homer so it's not Homer. It's even darker if Homer just steps over the edge and it's his choice. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe that, yeah. that that does feel like a uh, uh, a real choice there. Like, okay, uh, Homer can think about killing himself, but we can't actually have him say, well, it's the end for me and then jump off. He's yeah. got to be like shoved into it. And, it's and a- I, I agree that that's how it should be. And I'm not I'm not quite sure why. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, if Homer makes the decision and then changes his mind, it does feel too far for Homer. I don't know. I, uh, and yes, then they come back from the commercial break with a gigantic cheat that Otto is bungee jumping at the same time Homer jumped he off. He was uh, just slightly off screen, right? <laughs> and uh, Homer then grabs onto him and they're pulled deep into the bowels of the earth for a very cartoony joke, going by chuds and then uh, and uh, another subterranean group and then mole people. Yeah. Which I really like those mole people because they look like straight out of like the Fantastic Four's mole man group there. I, I assume that they were a direct uh, reference to the uh, movie The Mole People which had just been a mystery science theater a few years okay. before this. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. But then with their earthquake machine and of course they're all drawn to look like Hans Mole Man who we'd seen earlier in the episode so it's, it begs the question like did Hans escape from this group of Mole Men? He's, he's clearly their king. He's got lines and everything, right? <laughs> that's him. That's gotta be him. Well, I just assume that's like his twin brother or that <laughs> all Mole Men look like Hans Mole Man. Though maybe that is uh, bigoted on my part towards <laughs> Mole Man. Henry, come on. <laughs> Uh, so Homer flies back out of the hole, smashes his head on the uh, the manhole cover on his way out. And that's when he runs into Ron Howard once more, along with uh, Ron Howard's family, which are accurate, though not voiced by them. Was, at the is time. that a young Bryce Dallas Howard? Yes. The uh, the kids there, that's, they've got Bryce Dallas. They've got Jocelyn and Paige. And they've got Reed. Those who, sound like uh, rich people names to me. <laughs> uh, the, kind, the kind of rich people who go to special zoos, even. Oh, Lord. Lord, you saved me. I guess you had some higher purpose in mind. Hey, fuck out! Oh, dumbass. You trying to get yourself killed? Not anymore, Ron. Now I'm looking for something to dedicate my life to. Something noble but easy. Daddy, stop talking to that bomb. Look, I'd love to help you out, Homer, but I'm taking my kids to the zoo. That's great. Even big stars take their kids to the zoo. Well, it's a different zoo containing animals you've never heard of. Daddy, we're missing the Fantastopotamus. She only sings twice a day. That's it. Kids are the answer. I'll dedicate my life to my children. Really? You have children? <laughs> oh, well, look, here's some money. <laughs> no, I don't want your pity or your money. Usually when you say that, you give the money back. I do what now? Yoink. <laughs> Get a good Ron Howard yeah. there. You know, I actually kind of wish he was even more of a jerk. Uh, because, like, ultimately, Ron Howard is on the right in most of his interactions with Homer. Uh, maybe not in having a secret rich person zoo, but, like, Ron Howard has such a reputation as being, like, a like a nice guy in Hollywood. Uh, like, I kind of wish they leaned into the unlikable aspect of him a little more. Like, like they seem halfway there. Yeah, they, they want to make him a drunk, and he's he accepts, on the scale of negative portrayals that celebrities do on The Simpsons, he's, he's more on the negative side than a lot of the more fawning portrayals of people in the show but yeah they, they could go even farther with it but like he's not going to be mean to his kids I don't think Ron Howard would be cool with that joke but I do like the rich people zoo joke though now yeah. I think about what's what's actually in the cages at rich people zoo <laughs> now you oh, know no. what I'm saying 
Oh, uh, uh, boy. And uh, Fantastopotamus, a great Susian name yeah. for an animal. I do enjoy that one. And uh, the kids are all designed to be freckle-faced and red-headed, just like a young Opie was on the on the Andy Griffith show. Uh, the, this has little to do with the, it, but I do want to tell this story about Bryce Dallas Howard I saw recently. Okay. I would I would guess you uh, haven't seen The Mandalorian, uh, Will Sloan. Uh, no, I haven't. Well, did you know that Bryce Dallas Howard directed an episode of it as well? I, I did know that. Yeah, so I didn't know this. So, uh, and her episode is a good episode. It's it, I would say it is well directed. Uh, but you know, for TV, so they do this making of special on Disney Plus as well that I was clicking around in, and they have a bit of it's a roundtable of all the episode directors, and so she's there too, and they're telling their stories of like you know they talk to Dave Filoni and he's like oh when I was a kid I grew up and Star Wars meant this much to me it's so great and they talk to like two other directors and then when they get to her <laughs> I'll give her credit for not trying to pretend she's normal but <laughs> she, she tells the story of like well of course I was introduced to Star Wars because when I was five I met George Lucas when him and my dad we all flew to Tokyo together and hung out with Akira Kurosawa so mm. that was when I was introduced to Star Wars I do know that a year or two ago she <laughs> made a documentary about dads that played at the toronto film festival oh and like one, one of the dads in it is her dad ron oh that good old ron Man. <laughs> to be that wealthy i bet you know i bet he asked like draw my kids into this show and i'll do it like she you think she got oh, yeah. one of the simpsons jackets as well you think she got the that they give to guest stars i wonder but, honestly if i had the power to like if i were offered a chance to be on the simpsons and i had the power to mandate them to draw my family i would totally do it yeah yeah we'd all we'd all go to that rich person zoo for sure <laughs> i just want to mention that that she had to let us know that like she she met george lucas and akira kurosawa uh, at age five <laughs> in the, on the same day uh so uh, she's probably I, really bored too i bet yeah like dad uh let's go let's go to the rich people zoo in japan now so uh we then go to homer making this huge change of heart to have a completely different third act unrelated to everything from before her they they're that like i said they laid in the maggie stuff that's true yeah, yeah but but I, the stuff about him being famous for scoring a perfect game is basically over at this point yeah, yeah his 15 minutes are up and uh, then it, I do like that this script feels like that Homer first has to talk to Bart and Lisa to explain why this episode won't be about him helping Bart and Lisa. <laughs> they both have to deny him instead because those episodes have been done before. And Nelson has like uh, usurped him. I love that joke. I like that. Yeah, yeah. he's domed him in the dad's. <laughs> uh, I forgot in all of our bits about research for fake games in The Simpsons. I forgot about this one. Bart's, Bart's playing on a, his regular PlayStation there but there's some like weird ninja things happening on the screen it's three pictures of ninjas that just pop in and out so not not their best fake video game design there and uh lisa asked for three words that have y as the syllable which homer homer can't think of one of them and just backs, backs away. out yeah. yeah that does uh that does is a setup for a great lisa joke uh a wordless lisa joke coming up oh, next that's yeah. a big laugh for me <laughs> soon so yes as we we mentioned before homer get, homer gets very meta and calls maggie the forgotten simpson by the way i like that brief joke where you find out that nelson has become bart's surrogate father yeah that 
instead of his bully he has now been accepted as his father figure who literally has a a small recliner <laughs> and a pipe and, and a, a smoking jacket and a smoking jacket yeah uh and uh, yeah maggie is woken up by homer and i i do like the the crazy drawing she sees of homer are pretty funny in this i i very stedman-esque there in those scenes <laughs> then to truly place us in 1999 homer plays dress up of a oh. then current character i've been so blind i'll lavish my attention on maggie the forgotten simpson maggie it's me daddy daddy's gonna spend a lot more time with you yes he is yes he is <laughs> Where's Maggie? Where's Maggie? Hey, where is she? There you are. <laughs> Hi, Maggie. I'm Homie Womie, the Teletubby. And I'm all man, in case you heard otherwise. Let's see what's on Tummy Vision. Don't be scared, Maggie. Anyone drop you? So yeah, Teletubbies reference. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot that controversy from the late '90s, where where one of the Teletubbies was supposed to be gay, or at least that's what the whole religious right thought. It was the Teletubby who had a triangle um, on him. Yes, Tinky Winky, the uh, the purple Teletubby. He, w- he was purple. He has a triangle headpiece. And controversial episode in particular was that he walked around with a purse, and uh, the other characters learn to treat him normal like yeah he carries a purse oh well like that 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 was the plot of it and yes uh piece of shit jerry falwell yeah uh, had he was very upset by this and got to be on a lot of television to complain about it which uh you know i paid off for him in that way it got him on tv but i like that his he talked about it too much that basically all his obituaries mentioned teletubby probably more than jesus christ <laughs> I, I think so think. Yeah. and i will say uh this will all make sense in a second so i will say a rite of passage in uh your early 20s is to take a bunch of recreational drugs and then look back at your childhood and be like that show we watch was like so messed up and stuff <laughs> so now my want to feel old moment is seeing people on twitter who are in their 20s now saying the baby was like the sun whoa that was weird man uh because people that watch the show are now out of college so there you go it's uh it is growing up to just think yeah. back on those things as yeah i i mean i as a teen seeing clips of it i was like this is pretty weird and and i rejected i reject its britishness of course as, as an american but um <laughs> and that phenomenon of taking drugs and thinking things in your childhood are messed up became the show robot chicken yes yep yeah still Essentially, very successful every joke on that show is that <laughs> when i look back at the scenes from it now i definitely think the you know the bbc funded creators with that character they were doing queer coding in kids entertainment like but in a good way like so oh, i am saying jerry falwell was correct that it was using a metaphor for homosexuality but that is not bad it's actually good that they did that but and i think it's too bad that in the late 90s they basically had to just play dumb because they'd get in more trouble if they said like yeah duh of course it's a it's a metaphor for being gay uh now fortunately you know at least as far as north american cartoons are concerned for kids they can be a bit more explicit with fictional queer characters like in shows like steven universe adventure time yeah so that's that's how far we've come not that the jerry falwells of the world still aren't mad about it but they don't get on tv as
as much, I guess. Well, Jerry Falwell Jr., he's got his own stuff going uh, on. What a mushmouth jackass that guy is. <laughs> Uh, that story well one day he'll be dead just like his father yeah we can hope we get he's but look search up that story of him with that pool boy jerry falwell jr and the pool boy well sometimes you find a pool boy and you let him live with you and you fund him and uh, he's just a friend with you right normal thing to do with him and your wife and you're all friends that's all uh anyway uh yeah homer that also homer saying that i think that might have been like a last minute retake or something because it his voice sounds from a separate recording and the teletubby stuff like started early 99 and this aired late 99 yeah maybe so. it was a late edition you're totally right it could have been a little too uh late to mm. make it into the original draft it definitely felt fresh when he did that but homer's obviously being a homophobe saying i'm all man in, mm. in response to that he learned nothing from his time with john waters uh but i do like the shot of maggie being terrified at homer electrocuted in front of her and uh, another good joke of her like maggie is an in- is the strongest baby on earth but more so later she's like uh bam bam in this act yeah (laughs) to even hang on to that clothesline which i love her defeatedness when she realizes she'll never outrun hanging by one arm and apparently al Jean said he uses this episode as precedent for if he wants maggie to do like a superhuman thing he will like wheel out this act and be like look (laughs) she did it in this episode it was fine Uh, i would say that doesn't count in rules court i'd say like you can't cite one from before season 10 it doesn't count gene as homer is spending time with maggie the very good dark joke of cutting to lisa closing the blinds on him yeah Uh, uh, gut gut laugh in my house Uh, watching that so she just has so much disgust in her eyes looking at him we got to homer taking uh maggie swimming lessons which uh that is a late addition in the show you know we're just gonna do a swimming thing for the last three minutes but the uh the no stepfather sign is pretty funny <laughs> I like the, the rule there uh, and also the they don't do more with it you just get to see him in the lineup that millhouse is there too you just have in the, the in the baby swimming class yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also i like the design of homer as the creature from the black lagoon design it's nice yeah yeah after their failed swim together in the pool homer thinks maggie is asking him to go to the beach when she's really just pointing at a butterfly and uh i feel like it's a bad idea to take a baby in the ocean but google results were mixed on it it's Mm. like if they're over six months getting the salt water near your baby but i feel like if you're gonna go in the ocean with your baby you never let go of her and you definitely wouldn't ask her to walk to you into the water there should be some sort of rope or a buoy perhaps involved (laughs) and uh homer as he's trying to convince her to join him in the water he is pulled out in the riptide uh i like his maggie call aquaman thing uh unfortunately the timing on recording this it's uh tragically similar to what happened recently to wrestler actor shad gaspard so it was kind of a bummer seeing this uh section here but uh you know if riptides are dangerous folks take them seriously you know the ocean a pool is so much safer just just stick to the pools that's what i say Homer should actually be really mad at the Springfield local government and Coast Guard that nobody's guarding this beach and he's just alone on it. No active lifeguards. Uh, we didn't even see a sign saying no lifeguard on duty. Come on. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, Homer starts drowning and Maggie heads out. That's a great idea. We'll swim in the ocean. See, Maggie, the ocean is just like a bathtub. Except instead of rubber duckies, it has barracudas and moray eels. <laughs> nothing to worry about, just a little wave. And this riptide is certainly nothing Daddy can't struggle against. <laughs> oh, no! Somebody help 
Current, too strong. I know. If I sink to the bottom, I can run to the shore. <laughs> Funny in, animation of him underwater. I'm enjoying like the logic, though. He gets tired underwater, has to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he pops back up to struggle some more. That's, uh, yeah, the, the, the animation on Homer struggling is at least pretty funny. And then when Maggie decides to swim out into the water, again, impossibly, no baby could swim like that. And the, 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 it's playing, the music there is a specific song. It's the title theme to the documentary Victory at Sea. Yeah, I only got that from the commentary. It's a 19, early 1950s documentary about World War II. I don't know if Will might have seen this being more knowledgeable about documentaries than us. It's apparently a famous uh, unfortunately, one. Unfortunately, I have not. Uh, that's uh, yet another film reference that's gone right over my head. <laughs> I'm sure it's a non-biased account of how we won the war mm. and beat the Nazis. <laughs> it's a good song, whatever that documentary's about. It's it's a nice song. They they could have just told. It's an interesting that they paid the money to use it because I feel like if they just told Alf Clausen to rip it off, he'd have done a fine job with it. And it's not like, I mean, if the natural goes over your head, this one is really, you have to look up online or hear a commentary to know it. And uh, what they, after, after Maggie saves Homer, they fortunately instantly address the impossibility of what happened. Mr. Simpson, you're going to be fine. Although you do seem to have swallowed a number of shark eggs. Actually, that was before I went in the ocean. Well, I don't want to pry into your personal life. Then don't. <laughs> How could a little baby save a full-grown man from drowning? Oh, <laughs> it's quite simple. When a parent's life is in danger, a child can summon superhuman strength. Well, all I care about is that my little girl loves me. Oh. That's sweet. It's a yeah. sweet little moment there. Honestly, I feel like they don't even need the next bit. It's sweet enough to end the episode. Yeah, I, I guess I only got upon my second viewing of this for this podcast. So like, oh, I guess it's an inversion of the thing where you're, the parent gets the superhuman strength oh, and the kid yeah. is in danger. So You're right. Yeah. Well, I don't think Homer has done a lot to earn loyalty of uh, Maggie on this episode or the loyalty of anyone. But <laughs> it, is, it is a touching uh, penultimate scene. I think Homer is making the assumption that Maggie loved him so much because he clearly in her acting her choice to go into the water to save him is more of like frustration and fed up that she has to save this idiot uh, who from his himself once again she's a bit like gromit on this episode right from Very Wallace and gromit. Yeah. yeah that's a great comparison <laughs> and uh, yeah the also homer homer and his personal time he eats all the shark eggs he feels like and does not want your judgment on that choice uh that's uh, he couldn't swim he was full of shark eggs <laughs> uh there maybe there was no riptide it was just the shark eggs but i and i like that they make it even more insane the uh, description because they could have said like well you know in, in salt water you float more and it makes people lighter like they could they could try that but instead they just say it's it was a rush of adrenaline to a baby to, to be able to save him uh, though I also asked, where did how did Marge and the rest of the family even get there? Did, <laughs> did Homer yell from the water, uh, from the beach, like call nine one one? That's true. Suddenly, there's uh, there are people when there yeah. weren't before. <laughs> yeah, oh well. Uh, but yes, we get one last scene here of like uh, father daughter bonding. Good girl, Maggie. You knocked down all the pins, but you stepped over the line just a little bit, so I'll have to give you a five. And that gives you a final score of 295. Looks like Daddy won, but 295 is awfully good for a baby. Yes, it is. It's very good, and you're a good little baby. Yes, you are. 
It's a sweet scene where Homer is a bit of a jerk, and also Maggie is Maggie can save a man from drowning, and also bowl a perfect game of bowling. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it it's a cute joke that you see Maggie bowling with Homer in like the way you'd be like, oh, for a photo op. But obviously, she can't really bowl. But uh, she apparently had gotten a strike every other time, twelve times previous to that. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, yeah, a cute joke. I I like it. Uh, though Homer is has to be an asshole one more time in this and, <laughs> and screw his daughter out of a perfect 300 and game <laughs> we need one more the natural reference as he uh, bats away the 300 balloon that fell from the sky yeah uh, again denying her the uh, the ability to surpass him i mean that you know i don't think it's meant to be a season one reference but in the moaning lisa episode homer is distraught that bart has gotten better than him at something and so the, similarly he's trying to prevent maggie <laughs> from beating him in a bowling uh, at bowling that's what your family does they hold you back <laughs> it's the, the most important part of family yeah. <laughs> uh, but nancy's maggie voices she's really that's very cute noises nancy cartwright makes as uh, as maggie yeah i mean it like uh gene does rely on the homer and lisa homer and maggie stuff a lot because you know it's it's a emotional thing that works a lot of times and often it's very treacly but i i kind of like this as a as a nice like uh palate cleanser from the kind of more negative episodes we've been having recently <laughs> yeah more cynical yeah. ones it's nice to have a little bit of sweetness after a while i also like seeing a little bit of personality in maggie you know uh she is the forgotten simpson so mm. it's nice to see a few different shades to her yeah it's it's tough because any scene you write with maggie it's just it probably dies at table reads if you do it because it's just a bunch of stage directions not people saying funny words and then maggie does this <laughs> and crawls over here and and also you have to like well we'll let the animators be funny with this like if you're a writer you're like no i have to write every funny thing not trust an animator to draw funny maggie stuff uh but i i you know if if it was just algene going like Maggie is underused as a character, so I'm going to write an episode around her relationship with Homer. Then that's that smart pitch for an episode. So yeah, this this was uh, I think this is my favorite season eleven one we've done so far. Me too. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this one, and the not Lenny thing came out of here. Oh, yeah. We can all be thankful for that, and perhaps <laughs> the secret affair that's going on behind the scenes. <laughs> and yeah, we heard Teller's voice, and that's not nothing. Yeah, yeah exactly. So Will Sloan, thank you so much for being on the show. Please. Please tell us all about Michael and us. You guys have a Patreon, so many great podcasts and bonus ones as well. And we're both big fans of you and Luke Savage. Well, I would definitely direct your listeners' attention to the episode of Michael and us that we had with you, Henry and Bob, uh, where oh. we talked about the Simpsons movie. Yeah. Had a very great discussion about it. So when Henry and Bob eventually get to the Simpsons movie and they do their, you know, 27 hour <laughs> uh, frame by frame dissection it. of it. Like th this will be a nice little appetizer for that, a little preview. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and you also uh, you have another podcast too, right? Yes, it's called the Important Cinema Club, and it's a, a straight up film history podcast. Uh, you know, from uh, trash to art to everything in between. And uh, God, two podcasts is a lot for one man to have, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's a lot. Yes, yes. yeah. But uh, we we all manage, and, and yeah. And, and right now, it's easy to get way ahead on podcast and recording. I kind of have three. <laughs> yes, yeah. We're... I mean, that's just what the economy is these days. This is this is uh, yeah. This is how you make your living. <laughs> 
if I have too many moments of free thought, I think like I should just have another podcast. Yeah. These these thoughts are wasted. This could be written out and recorded. <laughs> yeah, you got got to figure out a way to monetize literally every part of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thank you so much, Will. Thank you, Will. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. So thanks again to Will Sloan for being on the show. Please check out Michael and us and the Important Cinema Club. But as for us, if you want to support our show and get every episode one week ahead of time and at free, please go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons and when you sign up you'll get just that but also immediate access to everything we've ever done on the patreon behind the five dollar paywall that includes all of our bonus podcasts for the past three plus years of talking simpsons and what a cartoon that includes of course all of our limited miniseries our most recent one was talking mission hill we went over the entire mission hill series with the talking simpsons treatment and there's a new miniseries coming up this fall just for five dollar and up patrons and we have so many things going on there over 100 bonus podcast at this point and growing every week at patreon.com slash talking simpsons and henry can tell everybody out there what is happening at the ten dollar level that is one mega long podcast once a month all about a movie that's right if you sign up at 10 bucks a month you get all that five dollar stuff so much stuff and you get access to our monthly what a cartoon movie podcast we talk about a different animated feature film often for over four hours the history scene by scene all of that some recent ones we've done have been space jam the warner brothers classic commercial plus uh the pixar's first sequel toy story 2 and tons more if you sign up now I think you'd have over 80 hours of what a cartoon movie content in your back catalog and a new one each month. So please, if you sign up at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons, consider going to the premium level of 10 bucks a month. So as for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. My other podcast is Retronauts. That's a classic gaming podcast. Find Retronauts wherever you find your podcast or go to patreon.com slash Retronauts and sign up there to get two exclusive episodes every week that are not on the free feed. Again, that is Retronauts and the Patreon is patreon.com slash Retronauts. Henry, how about you? Hey, I'm Henry Gilbert. You should follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E. R-E-Y-G. I'm sure to tweet tons of fun political movie thoughts on there. Plus, you should be following on Twitter the official Twitter account of this podcast. If you haven't yet, you're missing out. At Talk Simpsons Pod will keep you up to date whenever new podcasts go live on the free feed or on the Patreon, as well as our many mini series and any other big news that happens in the Talking Simpsons world. So please, on Twitter, follow at Talk Simpsons Pod. Thanks so much for listening, folks. We'll see you next time for Eight Misbehaving, and we'll see you then. Bye.